0: You are listening to Life Stories with me, Natalie Millisnell. Throughout this series, you'll hear honest conversations with inspiring people. And I am so super excited and so very grateful for my guests who have been incredibly candid about their journeys. So sit back and prepare to be inspired. Hello, everyone. It's Pride Month, so I am celebrating with some incredible folk on the show from the LGBTQI community who are paving the way for others in the world. And I am super excited to speak to my next guest. He coaches people to live fully in and through the harder times of life. And I think that says it all, really. Both beautiful inside and out, please put your hands together for my wonderful friend, Patrick Hill. woo
1: I'm clapping myself. Is that
0: weird? <laughs> Damn straight. If you don't celebrate <laughs> yourself, who else will?
1: Oh, it sounds like RuPaul. <laughs> I like that. Bit of a, a bit of a drag race reference to get the show going. You would. Oh,
0: absolutely. We are in Pride Month after all. How are you, gorgeous? you are You're looking very well.
1: I, look, I'm really good. I'm feeling really good. Um, quite busy, you know, for getting diary appointments with people like yourself.
0: Patrick and I were supposed to have have an Instagram live this morning and I got stood up.
1: (laughs) She totally got stood up and uh, I wish I had a really salacious reason. The salacious reason is so boring that I didn't put it in my diary.
0: (gasps) You need an assistant or support. You need some kind of support. But yeah. Right. Well, listen, I'm so excited that we're doing this because we met. We met online through COVID and yes. this has been a yes, unique we yeah it's been for me a really unique relationship and I think I can speak for both of us when you bond with somebody and you get on well and we share very similar interests very you know similar ideals I've, we've been so excited to get this show underway and get it aired so I'm delighted to have you on and for and... everybody who's not familiar with you Patrick Hill who are you a bit about your story and since we're in Pride Month what was it like growing up as a gay man and coming out and, you know, all of that, the challenges that we experience?
1: So, so well, I, I was born in New Zealand. I was born in um, 1974, so I'm 46.5 or 0.6, depending on, or anyway. Yeah, and, um, yeah, so I was, I was born there and growing up in a small city in uh, New Zealand back in the 70s and 80s and in a right-wing Catholic family. Well, let's just say Catholicism it didn't really suit my lifestyle (laughs) it wasn't it was not easy it was not easy at all um you know and there's lots of there's lots of lots and lots of backstory which I won't go into if anyone's interested they can jump on my website thinkingbeyondnow.co.uk to go to my podcast section and have a listen to any of the ones that I've done there but I think the thing The resounding thing around growing up gay in that time for me uh, was isolated and incredibly lonely. Mm. When I was nine, I was being bullied that year by the three bullies in my class, and um, it was horrific. It was daily, and I remember sitting in the middle of this huge grassy field um, at the school, and the school bell rang, and i I couldn't move. I was obviously now at the back. I was traumatised and uh, anxious and scared. And I was sitting in the middle of this field crying. I was nine. And I remember very clearly, Natalie, thinking, it's time I killed myself. And the bullying got worse and then the teacher joined in and he called me Nancy for the rest of the year.
0: Oh, crying.
1: So that was 1983. And I'd love to say that my life and story got so much better from then on and know what well, it did and did it. Um, and the thing, the thing that I can now look back on with incredible pride, not just because it's Pride Month, but an eternal pride all the time, is my strength and resilience is that it, it's literally off the scale. When I look at all the things that I've been through in my life, and that was kind of probably the the first major starting traumatic thing, um, there's been so many things that have really, really been so painful I've wanted to die, but I'm still here. Mm. And I now know why I'm here, which is really, really exciting because all of the colourful rainbow flag backstory, which is, I quite like that. That's, my, that's a little Patrick, I like that. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, um, my backstory is actually just a really long rainbow flag. Rainbow. Um, it It's now, I'm now in a, in a place in a position where all of who I am and everything I've been to, my professional skills and my teaching training and my coaching and being in recovery for 22 years, every fibre of who I am as a man is only here to serve you and others and it's a remarkably purposeful and incredibly peaceful place to live and move from i i am incredibly proud of the man i am and that i'm still alive is is quite something yeah
0: oh warms my heart i mean I had the good fortune to see you in the flesh only a few weeks ago. Yeah. 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 And, you know, experiencing connection and hearing your story and, and, and having conversations with you it's really powerful and it really lands. And that's beautiful. And I, I'm so grateful as well that you're here and that we got to meet each other.
1: Oh, look, completely. It's so random, isn't it? But it's it? like, it, it's so random, but it was like it was just supposed to happen. It's
0: supposed to happen. So, so reflecting back and you, you've had, as you mentioned, you, there's many, um, there's catalogs on your website, plus also other podcasts you've done for more in depth detail mm. of what you've been through, mm. but let's talk mm. about, so you've, you've come out, you've had experience where it's been quite, um, well, very traumatic and experiencing coming out as a gay man in Catholicism and what that's like in and around being in school. You mm. then went on to become a teacher.
1: Right. So yeah. I mean, that was, that was accidental. Most of, most of my best things have been accidental or they've kind of come to me um, kind of going back a little bit. So I went to all, all Catholic schools growing up and um, I hated education. Mostly I now know not not much because of the bullying. I was bored. I was bored. I've got a brain that has never, I've never really fitted into anyone else's box or label or whatever. And um, my brain doesn't, Quite think and work like most people's brains I always think very differently and um, I was always on the outside and I hated education I hated university because it was all tick this box write this thing do it our way you know and there was it didn't feel authentic it felt very much like performative stuff for other people and that's not who I am and um, yeah so I, I came out when I was 22 And um, actually, that was right at the end of my teacher training, I think. And I was living with my mum and dad and they kind of, they look, they knew I was gay, but they never wanted that to happen. And I came out and they just couldn't hold space for me. And they didn't outwardly reject me, but it was so uncomfortable and pleasant living with them. Um, Around that time, I said to them, look, I've got my own stuff to be dealing with around this. I'm not carrying to other adults who don't know how to behave or, you know, hold space for me during this particularly challenging time. So I just left home. I just left and went, I mean, at the time, I had a really good paying part-time job. I had a car, I had friends everywhere. I was just finishing my teacher training. And I just left and I just got drunk for the next two years. It was it was so painful because I'd been carrying this inner turmoil and stress and suppression and repression for so long that in the end, Natalie, I was like, oh, do you know what? I don't even care whether I've got a family or not. I've got to have me. I need all of me for this life. And if that means I don't have them, that's going to have to be how it is. I chose me over everything else. And it was so hard. It was just ridiculously hard. And, and you know, my parents made it hell for me.
0: Mm.
1: They absolutely made it hell for me. And especially because they knew. It was like, well, come on, help the little gay boy out at least. At least start having conversations around it. But look, they didn't. I'm not going to say it's generational because it's absolutely not the case. I've got loads of friends whose parents totally made things safe and easy. It's not generational. It's a choice. It's 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 a way to think. You get to either embrace and accept and unconditionally love, which is every parent's responsibility and duty. And I'm saying this to any parent listening now. Your number one job is to love unconditionally especially when your child annoys you or you don't understand that's when they need you most and if you can't do that get support so you can because that is what you are there for and i say that with quite a lot of passion and as you said i, I was a teacher I, I started teaching oh gosh i must have been about 25 or 6 or something and the reason I started teaching was again because I was bored, and a friend of mine was training to be a teacher, and he was having a great time, and there were parties all the time, and it was you know, university days back then were different to how they are now, and as much as it was much more community feel, mm. um, and I was going to university and the teacher training college, and I loved it, and it turned out I was an amazing teacher. Who knew? Um, but I think one of the reasons, one of the reasons I was I was so good at it is. I was determined I wasn't going to bore the children in front of me. Mm. I was not going to let them be subjected to the horrors of the education I experienced, Um, not so much the bullying, but the boredom. I mean, boredom, look, I think that's one of the things that I think still exists loud and clearly in education now is boredom for kids. Um, Yeah, there's no place for boredom. In fact, I, I said to my kids when I was teaching, Right at the start of every year, I said, okay, we need to talk about the B word. And obviously they thought I meant bitch. And I said, no, <laughs> the word is boredom. The word is boredom. And I like, what are you talking about? I said to them, if you are ever bored when I'm teaching or you just think, why are we doing this? This is ridiculous. You must stop me mid-flow and say, excuse me, Mr. Hill, I'm bored. Because as educators, if we are not stimulating and exciting the brain, what the actual beep are we doing? Mm. And I was so determined. Anyway, I taught for 20 years in New Zealand and London. And once a child stopped me and said, I'm bored. I was only once in 20 years. I was mortified. Mm. It is literally for the, in the classroom. It's got to be all about the kids, not the curriculum. In the coaching arena, when we're working with clients, it's got to be about the client, not our egos, not our agendas, not our tick box. Do all these things, you know, be performative as a coach. It's about being with. And that's the richness of the relationship that you and I developed when we met online and then in person and it continues to grow.
0: So much to I'm gonna cycle back on a few things there because I love I love I mean, I love that story as well. I, I love how you've approached teaching. I love the analogy and the connection that you've made quite beautifully between the schooling process and allowing and, and getting and empowering children, and then mm. how also that relates into coaching. Just quickly rewinding back. And for folk who are listening in terms of the challenges people face coming out, I just hope, and I I kind of wanted to just pay attention to the fact that it's really hard coming out. I mean, I'm very grateful and very lucky because my parents, they did embrace much like you said, there are, there's Mm. choices there? there's embracing and Mm. there's not, but for folk who aren't gay, who aren't bisexual, who aren't trans, who aren't different, non-binary, we have to tell folk about ourselves and fear that you'll be accepted. It's, it's an interesting dynamic, and I just uh, well, want to enable folks to just pause for thought in terms of, you know, what you were explaining earlier and how that impacted you.
1: When I reflect on my stuff now and who I am as a man now, if I had my time over, I would come out again for one purpose, for the kids. Yeah. For the younger kids who don't have strong role models, who are terrified who are anxious, depressed, suicidal, you know. We know from our community that the suicide rate is four to five times that of the non LGBTQ, right? Which means somewhere between 65 and 70% of all suicides, Natalie, come from our community. Mm. I'm a very vocal, proud, openly gay man in every sphere of my life. And it is a deliberate choice because the more visible, people like me are, the more empowered, the less visible, the more terrified younger people or older people will, they will feel hope because there's people before them going, hey, just as I look at um, Sir Ian McKellen, I look at Graham Norton or Stephen Fry, I look at um, my friend, actor, Cyril Inry, I look at all these people in the public eye, who have done and gone before so bravely, you know, you look, at, you look at role models like RuPaul and what he's done and created, it's remarkable. The thing he's created, his, his uh, franchise is amazing, but bigger than that, more importantly, he has totally changed the international thinking and community around uh, not only drag queens, but the queer community. He has totally done that. Certainly not single-handedly. You don't get to where he's at, you know, on your own. But it is so important. Visibility, you being openly out, me being. It is so, so important. Not so much for me and you anymore, but for your kids, for the people I interact with. You know, I've got this client at the moment who's a 13-year-old transgendered man. And this kid, I swear, has the stomach And courage and resilience of every adult I have ever met. And uh, we had a session the other day, and he was talking about having his pride party coming up this weekend. And it's his first pride event, and he's planning it at home with him and his mates. And I just said to him, I said, Well, yeah, it took me about 34 years to get to that place. Wow. And I just think to myself, that's why we have to keep doing what we're doing.
0: Yeah. To get to the point where we don't have to ask, we don't have to, you know, it's not implied or assumed that one is straight. It's mm. just not even a conversation. It doesn't matter. And everyone can just no. get on. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think it, it probably won't happen in our lifetime, but I think yeah. particularly, you know, in the Western world where things uh, perhaps a little bit more progressed, we'd like to think anyway. Um, it'll happen where we get, it gets to a point where, yes, pride is celebrated, but who you may sleep with or have sexual encounters with is as irrelevant as what's well, your shoe size.
0: Because
1: mm. who cares?
0: Uh, yeah. And what does it matter? You're quite right. You're quite right. Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. It is it, irrelevant. It's yeah, it's secondary. It's not, you know, important at all. It doesn't matter. I know. I love it. Brilliant. Let's talk coaching because, you know, beautiful framework that you and I both work within and and your, um, your line on, this is actually on Instagram. I, is it on your website? I'm not sure that you coach people to live fully in and through the harder times of life. I mm. love that. What is it about coaching for you? that brings richness to your life and why is it that you've gone down that path from teaching
1: so I was a senior leader in schools I was a deputy head teacher um, at a huge school in the city really deprived area massively stressful job um made me very very sick and then I left that job and I thought no no that's not right and then I started teaching part-time um at a different school actually not far from where I live it was a great little school and um I was in the senior leadership team there. And then I was like, "Mm, no, it's not doing it for me. What's it? And anyway, I went and spoke to my boss and I said, look, I need to talk to you about this. I said, I don't want to be a senior leader anymore. He goes, why? And I said, look, no disrespect. I'm just bored. (laughs) Which is, of course, disrespectful because largely it was due to really long, boring meetings with subtle action coming from them. And I'm not about meetings without action. So he said, okay, so what do you want to do? I said, one thing. I said, I only want to work with staff to improve their performance so that the outcomes for kids are better. He said, well, how we can, can make this happen? I said, what's happening? I said, I'm already you know, mentoring um, staff. I said, but what I want to do is I want to learn about coaching and be an in-house coach. And I said, and it's not going to cost you money. In fact, you're going to save money because I'm taking a pay cut and I'm going to teach myself and then we'll see how it goes. Anyway, I did that for a year not getting any money for it, just doing it because I I was mentoring other staff anyway. And then I started using coaching framework um, and getting them to reflect on their practice with me alongside them and getting them to pose questions about their practice for them to improve. Anyway, we had the best results the school had had at the end of the academic year. And the governing body and the head teacher, just because they were so grateful for what I had done, they gave me some money. And they said, but it's to be used towards your coaching training. And I was like, "Wow, okay, fantastic!" And at state school, they gave me three grand. Now, state schools giving one person three grand for that sort of training is a huge deal. It's a lot wow. of money. Um, and so, yeah, I start. I did my. I did the coaching training the year after, and then I was in-house coaching, um, and coaching privately outside of work uh, teaching hours. And what happened really, really quickly is everyone wanted to work with me because it was so empowering. It was a different way of thinking and being. Um, and then I discovered that actually I bloody love coaching and I'm really good at it. And the thing for me, you ask, what's the thing about coaching? The thing, the thing if there's a thing about coaching that I adore, is that it is when it's just one client, it's one-on-one, 100 Percent organic. Mm. There's no carbon footprint when you're working together. There's no tricks and gimmicks. There's just one person talking and one person listening really, really deeply and giving the other person all power for the agenda. And it is the most beautiful process. I if I was a squabillionaire, that's a new number I just created. If I was a squabillionaire, I would be doing it for free full time
0: mm.
1: because the number of people whose lives have literally transformed in uh, actually a relatively short space of time. I'm thinking of one client particular. I've been working with her uh, every two weeks for five months. She kind of bought me for the year. That's what she wanted. I just do what clients want, whatever you want. You want to do a block of six? You want three? You want a year? I don't care. What do you want? What's most useful is what I say. Anyway, in the five months since we've been working together, she is physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, psych- she is a totally different woman. And what she's done is she's, she's gone really, really deep. And some of the baggage that she has been dragging with her for, for a long, long time, actually. And actually, a lot of it went back to her childhood bullying. Um, she had those same neurological pathways playing out in her present, which were totally crippling her performances as a solicitor. And um, I'm not one of those coaches that, you know, and I do say to people if you want shallow, do not work with me. Mm. If you want quick and easy, please find someone else because um, I don't coach like that. It's just not who I am. I have really, really great understanding of the brain and the heart and the motions and how it all interplays. And the the thing, you know, and and, and I have this other client who also says to me every two weeks, um, and we've been working together for a much longer period of time. And he said to me, oh, it was only a few months ago, he said, the money I spend on you on coaching is the best money I have ever spent on anything in my life. And he too is a totally different man. You know, it came to me with one thing and then it morphed and shifted organically to where probably it was supposed to. And now he's setting up his own property development company and I'm, we've done the personal stuff and now we're doing the business stuff. And this guy, I mean, he's super young, super smart.
0: And I'm just like, oh, what? It's a beautiful, beautiful it's amazing. Thing. You're right. It's that, it's that space, isn't it? It's giving somebody the opportunity, letting them hold that space and just unconditional positive regard, unconditional positive regard in terms of allowing them to just think and let it out. Whatever Mm. is going on, overcoming the hurdles, seeing what they are, reflecting what is it that is really holding you back? Mm.
1: And, you know, I know in the professional realms of psychotherapy and coaching it's called unconditional positive regard. I think that academics speak for love.
0: Yeah. I think lots yeah. of
1: people are really uncomfortable using the word love in professional settings because what, what is it? What is it then to sit with someone who comes in for a session who you might be doing, I don't know, say career coaching and the day before their mother had died and they share with you in a coaching session that their mother died the day before what what is it if it is not love calling it unconditional positive regard sounds like three words of wank when actually what we're talking about is love and i think people shy away from the word of love because they don't actually really understand it and they're a little bit scared of emotional language Um, But actually, when you look at the most transformative, powerful people on the planet and what they've done is they've carried themselves with huge amounts of personal strength and resilience, and they've exuded and given love freely at every opportunity. I do not ever want anyone to say, oh, gee, you gave me such beautiful, unconditional, positive regard. I'd want to slap them. (laughs)
0: But, and do you know what, Patrick? But this is, what's so, um, this is what's so beautiful about you and what's so very clear about how you coach. Because this is it. This is what people are signing up for. Mm. And that's the appeal. Do you know, the thing is, though,
1: I mean, I remember when I was doing training, and there was a whole, you know, lots of corporate people in my training group. And, you know, no disrespect to the corporate world, but I don't really care about it. Um, but what was really evident, there was this real fear and reticence to use all and every fiber of their being and experience and training in their coaching. And I was like, but that's your USP. Everybody's USP is all of you. It's the only thing, all of you, Natalie, is the Mm. only thing that distinguishes you from the person next to you who's coaching. So if you're not using all of you and bringing all of you and giving all of you, I think you're shortchanging yourself first, but more importantly, the clients. Yeah. And, I mean, I I posted something on Instagram in April about being 22 years sober. The very same day, a potential client called me saying, can you help coach me towards sobriety? Mm. I'm like, because... Painful stuff in the past quite often dramatically impacts our relationship with ourselves. And I'm yet to have any client, whether it's been a corporate client who's wanting career coaching or ladder climbing, whatever stuff that they're into, I'm yet to meet a client who hasn't needed to pause and go inward so they can move forward.
0: Yeah. And even self-reflection as well, when you you and I both process in our own worlds, there's an inward Mm. dialogue, there's an inward Mm. introspective review Mm -hmm. of any given situation, the reaction, what that means, and then a move forward.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think people are scared of the past. I think people are scared generally of of high emotion. I think people are scared of trauma. Um, But see, I'm not because... I've had so much and done my stuff with it that, for me now, it's, um, well, I don't know. It's just detail. For my, for my side of it, it's just detail now. And, I mean, surely I finally got to this place in myself where it's like, oh, I understand what I'm here for now. So what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Deny all these experiences and not use them for the benefit of you or clients or whoever whoever you know, yeah. whoever, whoever's path I happen upon. I don't
0: know. No, you're right. You've got to be authentically yourself. Show up with every part of who you are. Learned experience as well. And that's why folk come to you.
1: I'm also messing up my diary everywhere I go.
0: (laughs) We will come back to that. I'm sure. No doubt. Look, let's talk about what you've got coming up, Patrick, because it's really quite incredible. You're embarking on a new journey. Mendable. Yeah, really
1: exciting. Please share. Right, so Mendable. Mendable is an app that is currently being built in India. We've got the patent for some incredible technology. Now I was approached by this brilliant woman called Sophia May. Uh, met her through Clubhouse and she heard my story and we got talking and then we had a meeting and she invited me to be a part of the app, it's the app itself and the development of it. She wanted me specifically for my mind and how I think and question things because the the app is a mental health app for men. It's called Mendable. The website is www.mendable.app, And if you want to be a part of the testing for the beta, which will be ready in two weeks, you need to sign up to that website so that we can send it to you. Now, the thing that's different about this app is I'm going to place my thumb right now because we're on camera My thumb is over the front camera of my phone and all Natalie can see is the red. Now that that red that you can see is the light going through my thumb. And inside the thumb is a nerve called the the vagus nerve, I think. Now these brilliant, brilliant inventor technicians in Canada, brothers Dan and Dave Roach, have got the patent on the technology because in that red that you just saw, there's biometric data. It can read your heart rate. It can read your hydration level and your general mood based on your heart rate. What the app's going to do is it's going to be an app that is a game changer across the planet because all of a sudden your phone is going to be pulling biometric data similar to the uh, the, uh, Apple Watch, but different. Um, And this is going to be a game changer. And the other reason they want to meet is to help design coaching questions exercises and activities so when you do your imprint we call it when you Mm -hmm. put your thumb over that for every reading there'll be uh, a selection of suggested exercises tools and techniques that you can use to help create and maintain mental health
0: did you call it your imprint yeah love it love it
1: brilliant now here's another little beautiful thing so highly creative team we're meeting regularly we have a team day coming up on friday us canada london bristol um and one of the ideas is a i just think this is wildly cool a digital stadium of 10 million men wow and one of the things that we're going to put into the app probably the first release uh, because we know that mental health for men is an international crisis, given you know some of the stats we talked about earlier, um, we know that connection is the key to breaking isolation to stay well. So there'll be you know there'll be social functionality within the app as it progresses. Um, but what this stadium of 10 million men will have is it will have every user. It will have their voice in the stadium and it's going to be a hum at a particular frequency that soothes and heals the brain and every user who downloads the app, their voice will be uploaded to a server, yeah, and it will use their voice as part of this hum. So it's like find your voice, use your voice, every voice counts.
0: Nice. Nice right oh i like
1: that and so mendable is uh yeah so so the the pre-app is currently being built in india we're hoping to have that in two weeks then that'll go to testing to the people who've signed up through our website mendable.app and the the other beautiful thing that is uh possible with this now is this is a globally sustainable mental health community um that will be based around high-quality connections, and it all started on Clubhouse. And our Clubhouse rooms are uh, 8 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Monday and Thursday is the Mental Health Awareness Club. It's called Men's Mental Health Testimony Time, and it is peer-to-peer support, listening to men talking. Because men are very, very good at side-by-side time, doing things side-by-side, football, fishing, walking, running, biking, whatever men are not very good at face-to-face time with each other where they sit look each other in the eye and having have quality conversations to the depth of an emotional nature we know that men typically don't do that we also know that men love to rush to the resolution and solution and fix things and skip the middle bit which is actually the feeling healing bit yeah. <laughs> hence the suicide stats being what they are so we're changing that and what I love this is the thing where it all kind of fits together is when I When I started working full-time and just on my business, um, when I left teaching, I said to my partner, I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I want to build an international global community, international global, same thing, an international community (laughs) that somehow dramatically reduces the suicide stats." He said, you'll do it. I said, yeah, I know I will, but I don't know how. And then two months later, I'm a part of this team developing
0: this app. Power of intention, power of thought, power of finding your purpose and knowing it and verbalising it. Yeah,
1: so I had this vision. No clue of how that was going to come about. I knew my purpose. I did not shift from my purpose one tiny bit. I stayed true to it and just kept working and kept working and kept talking. And, you know, like I did work 12 hour days solidly for four weeks in January while my partner was stuck in Brazil. I got everything up and rolling. I got my subscription group up and rolling. I did group coaching. I did one-to-one coaching um, and just being totally into um, meeting people. And You know, there was a period where I was speaking to like 20, 30 people a week that I'd never spoken to before just to see where they're at, what their needs were, putting myself out there. And um, now it's got to the point where I just need to say no because I'm too busy. I'm too busy with my own business as well as the app business. Um, so it's just about now slowing up and refining a bit so that I have space so that I can still keep doing my, my, you know, my coaching work with my clients. Um, I love that. I I will keep a hold of that definitely as the app develops and progresses, but also I want to be coaching the team as we progress through this massively exciting time, as we learn huge amounts from zero to product fulfillment delivery to to customers consumers
0: i'm so excited for you i think it's absolutely incredible and really inspiring actually the whole setup everything that you're doing the whole business around you know well-being for for men and getting men talking as well and the amendable app i think the name what it stands for how it's going to operate is genius absolutely genius
1: it's pretty special it really is and I think I've said to you before my mum said to me about five years ago um you know she died last year with her in New Zealand helping her live well as she died but she said to me about five years ago she said to me Patrick your brain is too big for schools and I kind of knew what she was referring to at the time Time, but it was only after she died. I was like, "Oh no, I'm done with schools. No, that's finished now." I still coach kids because I love working with kids. Mm. What, what's more important, really? Um, but in terms of in terms of that kind of part of my you know, career, if you like, that's very clearly over. Um, and oh, to be honest, I'm grateful because teachers and education—that's a pretty tough gig.
0: Tough gig, totally.
1: Oh, don't don't envy them anymore. Don't, them don't, ooh, no, don't, ooh, ooh, no thanks tough tough
0: tough <laughs> oh Patrick I've loved absolutely every minute of this if folk who have been inspired want to get in contact for any any reason be it coaching, Mendable app or your um, clubhouse rooms how do they get in contact mm-hmm. with you
1: so easily found you can easily find me on Instagram Patrick Hill Coaching that's where you can find me the Mendable app is www.mendable.app the clubhouse is 8pm greenwich meantime mondays and thursdays and my website is www.thinkingbeyondnow.co.uk
0: i love it thank you so much for joining me patrick this has been beautiful
1: thanks natalie i love you see you soon.
0: and thanks everyone for listening take care look after yourself keep well you have been listening to life stories with me natalie miller snell For all information related to my guests, please check the show notes. And if you wish to continue the conversation with us, please hashtag Life Stories on all social channels. If you enjoyed this show, please pop over to seizetheday.simplecast.com where you'll find my other shows. If you're interested to know any more about coaching, please visit me at nmscoaching.co.uk where you'll also find details of the latest workshops I am running